Well, good afternoon. This one will either be quick or long. So, um, I, I mean, I'm actually not sure. I guess we'll just cover it all. So besides working with trauma, I've been working on this theory of psychedelics. Um, but honestly, there was a, a gentleman uh, interviewed by John Verveke. Pardon my memory here. I'm going to have to go find him. Um, who has this new theory. I don't know if he, John Verveke says it's a new theory. Um, there he is. Uh, Aiden Lyon. He's a philosopher, I think, uh, in Europe. <laughs> yes, I'm sure in Europe. From Australia, University in Europe. So his theory flows from this idea that, uh, let's see here. Yes, here it is. So uh, his theory flows that psychedelic right, to reveal the mind. It isn't strictly psychedelics uh, or entheogens, this term that's been coined, I think, in the 70s, just for anything that allows insight. And that's where they go. And funny that they never mention entheogens. I'll actually have to put this down here, too, because I have two theories that build upon both of these theories. So their theory, uh, his theory, and both of their theory speaks to uh, insight being psychedelic experience. So they didn't go as far as I will, uh, but I agree that uh, any experience, be it religious uh, or divine um, rapture, they talked about crazy wisdom in uh, Tibetan, this idea that uh, acting out of the norm uh, is uh, ultimate um, action. So they go on and talk about phronesis, phronesis as being the action. And again, I'm Cole's noticing it and I might be uh, jading over and I might even be strawmanning their argument. Um, but <clears throat> the idea here is that uh, any experience that leads to insight, be it an exogenous one or an endogenous one, so something from without or within. And so his theory is that he wants to apply psychedelic um, thinking to philosophy. Uh, he has some theories. Again, what's the, uh, is the Etruscan mysteries? Is that what it is? Uh, this idea that there was some psychedelia, psychedelia in our uh, history. I argue, absolutely, I argue that fasting, vision quests, uh, sweat lodges, um, the multiple uh, ceremonies that I, I've, been, uh, I've been told about firsthand uh, by friends in Mexico, either pe uh, peyote uh, or mushrooms, I mean, there's so many examples around the world of this idea that um, we get these insights from these challenging experiences. I mean, I've heard people talk about psychedelics, exogenous psychedelics being a challenging experience. I find it funny because they wanted to translate phrenesis, which, by the way, 
is oft translated as practical wisdom, practical knowledge. They both got real chuffed when uh, Aiden mentioned uh, mindfulness as maybe a better translation for the term phrenesis. Because again, if, again, you got to understand that John Verveke is a cognitive scientist, I guess I could call him, plus he's got some Buddhist uh, leanings. Some of his courses talk about psychology and Buddhism, and there's a new school at the University of Toronto that's supposed to be this Buddhism and psychology, but this is what I'm going to get to. I think there's a real mistake and a hubris in science and even psychology now that I see. Right, because they go on and talk about how oh, it's mindfulness. Well, it is if you understand what mindfulness is. But they failed to explain this to their audience that mindfulness, shmirti, or sati, shati, would it depends how you want to pronounce it. Neither here nor there. It's the meaning that matters. It means to remember. What are we remembering? What we're talking about? To be practical. To be insightful. To be. Uh, present, to pay attention, to use critical thinking, to apply insight, uh, previous insight, uh, to achieve further insights, right? I mean, we've talked about this, the idea of free energy being to reduce surprise. So you have a predictive engine, which is, according to Descartes, the body, and the self is used to inform this predictive engine as to what's going on in the outside, but also help improve this prediction to reduce surprise. So that's mindfulness again, is it not? If you remember sati, shati, shmirti, to be mindful, conscious, and aware at all times, to remember. I like to translate it as don't be a jerk. So I argue that, yeah, they don't have it quite right because it's not mindfulness. Phrenesis would be better translated as sati sampajana the more apropos phrase, once again, like I mentioned about the three character, meaning uh, Zen Buddhist practice, shortened to Zazen, and then misunderstood as sitting in Zen, or Zen sitting, or instead of understanding that it's to carry oneself. I actually go one step further, and, and I've uh, broadened my uh, definition here. And I argue that the extended sitting what's come to be known as Zazen, or in, say, the Burmese tradition, where they might sit for weeks on end, I argue this is the same psychedelic experience, an extreme challenge, both physical and mental, that can lead to these sorts of insights. So I say, much more important that we look at phrenesis, in this case, again, I laugh because they are so Greek-concentric, or what do they call that, Hellenistic, because even though he is Buddhist, he didn't mention Satisampajana, which translates most often as to bring clear um, comprehension. So remember to bring clear, clear comprehension to all of life's activities. That's the third uh, of the foundations of mindfulness. And preceding it is one, the body, so bringing the body into control, two, well, sorry, the breath and body is one and two. Mix them up, my apologies. First, the breath, you can follow the breath, plus when you can follow the breath uh, without any effort, you're also actually controlling the breath. So you're having good, proper diaphragmatic breathing, uh, pranayama, as they say. In fact, you can speak to, I don't know how many, um, learned yogins 
Uh, even Krishna Murthy recently, the foundation uploaded a video where he talked about this very thing that yog uh, is a word that means to uh, connect oneself. The idea of a horse cart being part of a greater system. That yog, the physical, is no not separated from the mental, not separated from the breathing or the thinking. The practice includes getting into the position. I'm going to get this further because uh, I'm actually working on a critique of uh, a recent Joe Rogan podcast where he interviewed um, a doctor who just had this completely wrong, completely wrong to the point where we may be risking uh, people's uh, health, giving him such wrong advice. And I lost where I was going with this, with, with that about the Joe Rogan thing. Um, but uh, I got from that the idea that um, the same challenging they were talking about saunas and, and how that could be uh, a benefit uh, because uh, it can provide uh, both mental and physical benefits. Well, same as separating philosophy from psychedelic and separating entheogens, exogenous entheogens from practices, both internal uh, and, uh, well, like I said, uh, taking a sauna, rolling in the snow after, uh, sweat lodge, fasting. Um, I mean, I uh, myself tried this. I did a 30-day uh, fast. I did nothing but uh, hemp seed for the 30 days. And my thought in it was it was uh, arguably the optimum balance of omega fats, which I've found uh, I desperately need. I was playing with the idea, uh, mainly in this case, uh, just, you know, uh, not to starve yourself of any nutrients. Like I can't go without my necessary uh, uh, minerals and, and, and vitamins because it'll make my disease flare up crazy. So I can't go on an extended complete nutter fast. And I can't uh, do like say straight cod liver oil or because I've tried that, I can't go this extended, but I was able to do 30 days on nothing but hemp seed and water and, and um, mint tea. Mint tea is what I use in place of antihistamines. Um, it helps control regular allergies, seasonal allergies, but um, because my allergies are so severe, it interferes with uh, my other uh, conditions and they can kind of play off each other and just go crazy. So on that note, a lot of personal, but that's what the next step here. So as a Buddhist, right, I shared my insight because I moved away from the Greek. I found the Greek to be very um, arrogant. I mean, look at Pyrrhonism. Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little here. They mentioned the Socratic method, right, as it relates to phrenesis, phrenesis being a search for wisdom or practical wisdom or, or um, technical knowledge or, or the, stri the, the striving uh, to vet data always. I like that. Uh, or to compare your experience and, uh, you know, cause and effect idea, compare it to the config file, the configuration file, right? So you have a list of uh, which way you should be pointed 
and you compare that. Now, the reason why I mention that is I've been working a lot on trauma, uh, and now I've done uh, what I thought and originally was a hard uh, right turn to critical thinking, but lo and behold, it is absolutely apropos to trauma because the traumatized uh, no longer are capable, I mean, I'm making extreme rhetoric, uh, are less capable or less confident in their ability to make these critical um make use critical reasoning i don't know you know me i'm I'm stumbling all over the place here so they were talking about the socratic method and i like to talk about uh, the socratic method is simply why just a question right you've heard me talk about this to no end doubts Doubt, I think, is both liberating. You're not fixated or attached to your old views, be it right or wrong. They both could be proven right or wrong and wrong or right. I like the Socratic method, the idea of to question everything, right? Descartes said it comes a time in our life, and I'm paraphrasing, comes a time in our life when we need to question everything in so much as possible. Right? Because even the Buddha talked about that. There comes a point where uh, doubt can actually cause you to freeze. Right? Is this the right choice? Well, sometimes you have to lead with faith. Faith, more like Shraddha in Sanskrit. The idea of whatever path you follow with absolute commitment, uh, devotion, uh, and confidence. I like to translate it as confidence in the prescription. I just found it funny uh, if they've had any uh, uh, introduction to the cognitive science, phrenology, phenomenology. I, you know what I mean, all these different ideas of embodied consciousness. They tend to talk about um, these ideas, but they fail to talk about pyro. And of course, being so Western concentric, they likely would have talked about his tetralemma. This idea of doubt, right? Why? Well, it might be this, it might be that, it might be both, it might be neither, it might be none. We just don't know. But what's funny is, talk about applying critical reasoning in Occam's razor here. So, Pyro, a Greek, went through the north of India. Like I've said before, Taxila, the north of India, which was really probably you could call the... uh, Grand Central Station of the Silk Road, in a sense, because it had so many. It was coming from, going down in multiple ways, going away. And so they went through the north of India on campaign with, it was either Alex, I should look this up because I can't remember. It's either Alexander or, um, or Hannibal Barca. Well, one or the other. It doesn't matter. He went on campaign through India, but of course, nope, 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 was never introduced to this idea of doubt. So he goes back to Greece and he develops this idea of the tetralemma and this philosophy of Pyrrhonism. Critical thinking, I guess, in a sense, you know, Socratic method or, I mean, it depends on how you see it. There's been a number of practitioners of it and they apply it somewhat differently. So don't take my word for it. I highly recommend you go look at it. You might see for yourself. But completely ignore that what was developing at the exact same time in Yogacara thought or in this actual northern area was the Cherescoti. Cherescoti 
is a word that means exactly the same as the tetralemma. Exactly. And even how it's explained, A, B, A or B, neither A or B, or might be none of the above. So I found it once again funny that they didn't mention this, right? Either as Pyrrhonism and it, how it relates or uh, Yogacara. Mainly because Yogacara, I argue, has been studying um, consciousness, uh, the self, uh, phenomenology for over a thousand years. So, of course, I would think we would go back and look at them. But next, I found it quite funny that, again, looking at this, none of them ever turned to uh, ditti or samaditti. Ditti, a Pali word meaning view, uh, sama being right or ultimate or most beneficial. But when you look at the Pali word ditti, you'll actually find it's literally sight or to see, view, belief, speculative opinion, or insight. So based on that, once again, samaditti, because they mentioned, oh, I forgot to mention that, Aiden mentioned the importance of the Eightfold Path, samamaga the ultimate path or the beneficial path. But he forgot to mention Samaditi, right? Right view, which is, I argue, the phrenesis, once again. So that takes us to the final discussion that these scientists don't see the forest for the trees because look at them they're all fixated on what phrenesis means and all oh, this is phrenesis and instead of going wait a minute this is nothing special or unique to the greeks this idea of practical insight or uh well neither here nor there what's funny is also related are the three poisons i've talked to these the reason why it's important, because the opposite of the first of the three poisons, first of three poisons in Sanskrit being moha, same in Pali, is delusion or ignorance, bewilderment, confusion. And a synonym is avidya. Avidya, A, meaning not wise. So ignorance is actually not being wise. Same in Tibetan, Mabrigpa. So it's not wise. Avisha in Pali, again, not wise. How do you battle delusion or unwiseness? You battle it with prana, with wisdom. Again, a different word, right? Vidya, knowledge. Prana, wisdom, insight. And the next, raga, loba, attachment, desire, selfish desire, sensuality, greed. We've talked about this. Egoism in French. And dana is how you, well, in some ways, battle, non-attachment. I'd argue that impermanence is also another way. 
to understand that whatever that you desire or attach to is just as impermanent as the self. Therefore, you know, appreciate what you have. And then finally, aversion. Aversion. Sometimes translated anger, hatred, hostility. But aversion in faith. Because the real transform, uh, formative um, act is to believe, not without using critical thinking, but in the face of doubt, to still have faith in the path that you tread. That's the transformative. When challenged by hatred or ignorance or greed, don't stoop to their level. You can use generosity or loving kindness, compassion, understanding. Those give you an insight into these universal truths. So the last step is he wants to bring, this is Aiden Lyons, he wants to bring psychedelic thought to philosophy. And I think uh, in no small part, he has a belief that uh, philosophy has been informed by a lot of psychedelia. And I don't disagree. So I wrote something a little, little haphazardly just to get an idea of where I'm coming from. I personally agree that uh, psychedelic mind revealing uh, that goes into psychedelics and theogens, sweat lodges, um, vision quests, uh, religious experiences, uh, even extended meditation. Uh, I mean, if you get really good, you can probably get it into it quick, but you know. So I argue that uh, psychedelic is not just mind revealed, but that uh, practices like sweat lodge or mushrooms and the idea of psychedelic experience in all of its forms can or is an insight experience. I agree with that. But I argue there is no demarcation between the psychedelic and the mind. The mind is what creates the experience. Therefore, it is mind-born and derived that it is capable of self-induced ex experience, right? Thus, it must be capable of self-induced experience. Like Nietzsche, the Ubermensch is an example of insight and insight into our human potential. So the idea here that if all acts that lead to insight can be considered psychedelic, right? Mind revealing, be it a challenge, an accident, uh, you know, getting, I don't know. Um, let's keep it simple. So taking a mushroom, um, going into a religious uh, rapture, uh, extended meditation, um, sweat lodges, uh, vision quests, fasting. And that's why I mentioned before, I did a 30-day hemp seed fast, and it led to one of the greatest leap forward from my trauma healing in 40 years. And in fact, on my walk, I realized another thing that uh, for the first time, I uh, had not used uh, exogenous uh, psychedelics to heal a major uh, break. See, the way it works is in 
uh, traumas, particularly complex PTSD, it can take something that might trigger you. And for me, I was always an extremist, right? Like mostly on the idea of anything I felt, I felt to an extreme. I very rarely shut down. And so what I did this year is that for the very first time for an extended period of time, I shut down. I shut down for near five, four, five, six months. Uh, lost, uh, this is nothing new, but lost uh, arguably uh, the remainder of my self-preservation. Uh, have very little of it to, to begin with and uh, trying to build that back up. But I'd always use psychedelics when it had gotten impossible, when I couldn't uh, use anything else, when I couldn't use uh, um, any of the other protocols, right? The heat, um, fasting, exercise, meditation, Jikung, that's another thing I use. Uh, that's where I was going, by the way, uh, earlier on when I mentioned uh, the doctor talking about um, using sauna. So she uh, posits that for people who are unable to exercise or people who are uh, demotivated, people who are depressed, anxious, traumatized, uh, can't bring themselves to exercise. And they ignored the real issue. It's not just a motivation issue. A lot of these patients have difficulty um, uh, being in tune with their body. I mean, the example is in yoga, any position that exposed the pelvis was traumatic for these patients. So I posit, I know it's my new favorite word, I posit that the same can be said when it comes to these ideas. So I argue that um, this doctor is missing the entire point here when she thinks that um, something easy like a sauna might help older people who are physically unable to exercise. It'll bring them some of the benefits uh, that can be uh, garnered from exercise. And those who are too depressed or traumatized or sick uh, to motivate themselves to exercise, it might help them. I argue missing the point completely, right? She might be right in the idea that uh, getting physical Right, because you're, <laughs> you can't help but to experience uh, the somatic, uh, you know, symptoms of you know the sauna. They even mentioned coming out of the sauna into a cold bath. Um, that's some serious somatic experiencing. Am I right? So I argue that's going to be just as difficult to some of the traumatized, um, but it's not going to help those uh, that are demotivated. Uh, it will give them some benefit, um, but I argue. It's not dealing with the true root cause. I mean, there'll be a use case for it, but I argue um, it's a failure in their trying. She, in particular, is trying to prove that this is an option to help people to exercise. I argue. I argue. Uh, hold on here. I got to jump ahead. Well, I argue that um, psychedelics are like what this doctor um, explained exogenous ketones are useful. So exogenous ketones are fuel the body can use um, to, well, it's energy, but it's fat-based energy. It's actually, uh, it's complicated, but it's not our usual sugar-based and it, it, it burns differently. And so there's a, a strong belief that um, ketosis uh, or 
using ketones for energy is anti-inflammatory. It might even be better for uh, cognitive function because the doctor's on 14 days. I've done this for years, and yeah, I'm, we're gonna, not going to take advice from a doctor who can't explain something as simple as um, uh, hypotension. Uh, I'm not going to take advice when it comes to the ketones, but I do agree with their theory of exogenous ketones. So it's very difficult to switch because the body needs to burn sugar uh, just to survive. But it is incredibly difficult just to operate just on fat, right? Because you have to cut out practically all your carbs and vegetables until you get fat adapted. And then maybe you can add back more carbs, more vegetables. It's really quite difficult. I personally don't believe in a full... Um, ketogenic uh, trend, because I don't think it's possible. I think the damage from having such a limited diet and limited uh, access to nutrients is, is, is likely more damaging. But I do agree with getting adequate amounts of omega fats and the right kinds of fats and the adequate amount of fat. So I agree with her when she talks about that they're not getting enough fat, they might be getting too much protein, but never once did they talk about the quality of the fats. But again, not to jump ahead, this is just a little, uh, what I'm going to do is try to do the uh, critique of uh, the Joe Rogan video uh, live as a video, uh, and then I'll rip the audio and put it up as a podcast. So for those that want to listen, like I do, I prefer to listen than to watch uh, a lot of my podcasts. You'll have access to it, right? So again, needless to say, uh, pretty much wrong in every uh, case, except what I agree with. So if people can benefit from um, being fat adapted or ketosis or ketogenic uh, diet, having ketones in the blood, if people can benefit from that, right? She talked about her mother had tremors. Uh, I've heard people um, well, for me, I'm much more lucid, much more clear. I'm, I mean, my, uh, disabilities, uh, hinder me much, much less, uh, in every way. But, um, I had to work very hard to get there. And as I said, um, I do fasting. Every yeah, there you go. So, um, anchor, uh, added a 30-minute limit. Isn't that nice? Uh, of course, I had another browser, uh, or it was the uh, my notes open. So uh, who knows how much I missed out on? Probably not that much because I was still talking about uh, the ketosis idea. But I came up with a couple of uh, interesting things at the end there that uh, just lost forever. But attachment exercises, am I right? All right, so um, where were we here? Looks like I was very to the very end. So long story short, uh, the doctor believes that exogenous ketones will just give you a glimpse at uh, the possible healing. For myself, uh, I've actually experienced it myself. In the past, of course, I would take, um, when I was seriously, seriously uh, traumatized, I would take uh, some exogenous entheogens, mushrooms, LSD, uh, whatever was legal and available at the time. Recently, uh, having come off this long stretch of being incredibly ill, uh, I didn't use it. Uh, I actually put all of my effort into trying to heal naturally. I've even given up on using Kratom for the last, gosh, for a long time now, uh, for pain and fatigue. 
So I agree with her. It gives you a window. I think the same for psychedelics. It's simply a glimpse at what is possible. And then I go one step further and talk about brainwaves activating the HT2A or influencing the release of endogenous DMT or the like, or just hormones, lucid dreaming as an example of this as a pattern of human behavior. I apologize. I lost all of my, uh, all of my chuffiness, uh, having had that disappointment. But what I, I ended on, um, what I was talking about, what I went into was, uh, Sen Xing Dui. Um, honestly, I don't think anyone would even look into it, but what it is, is a lost civilization in, uh, in, uh, Asia recently discovered six new pits and you can see their, their masks and their tree of life is shared with, uh, Scandinavian cultures and North American cultures. They have the same tree of life in the Anishinaabe people, the, the Ojibwe people. They have a word, Debwiwin. It means heart knowledge. But the way I explain heart knowledge is what Debwiwin is, is to prevent surprise. We must use observation and insight to ascertain the truth of our action and our perception. Practical wisdom. That's Anishinaabe. And then... Uh, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. Um, oh, no, sorry. I w- that's what I went into. I talked about taking a look at um, Senshing Dwe. Uh, it shares the tree of life with the Anishinaabe people or the North American natives. shares with the Scandinavian, um, the, uh, I believe the South American peoples as well. Uh, but the real takeaway is you can look and see the totems, the totems of the Ainu people of the Northern Island of Hokkaido, considered themselves the bear people. You can see in them shared uh, art totem with the Sanxuing Dwe uh, civilization, lost, uh, scattered to the four corners of the earth, maybe. But then you cross the Pacific Ocean, and on the west coast of North America, you have the Haida people, and even more like the Ainu people, the Tlingit people who not only share being bear people and their dotums being almost identical to the Ainu, but they share a smiley face tattoo. It's just freaky how close it is. Not just that, but their, their clothing. And you can jump all the way to the east coast of North America and you can see in the Mi'kmaq the shared culture, dress. But even more so, they share... Uh, identity with the Sami people of Finland. And what's interesting most of all is the uh, folklore of the Anishinaabe people speak of being brothers with the Mi'kmaq, uh, possibly being seafaring people because they both were, the Mi'kmaq and the Tlingit on the west coast, the Ainu people. But the Anishinaabe tells of being brothers with the East Coast natives, the uh, Mi'kmaq, having moved into the interior, to the West, and having developed their land at Turtle Island. And in their folklore, we have a word, Debwiwin. Debwiwin, uh, translated as heart knowledge. 
And the way I translate is, or to prevent surprise, we must use observation and insight to ascertain the truth of our action and our perception, right? Practical wisdom. That's phrenesis. It's satisampajana. Um, I mean, it's, it's arguably, it's just about all of it. So I don't know what I got into. I apologize. Uh, we may have lost 10, 15 minutes. So I was wrong. It wasn't a quick one. It was definitely a long one. But what a surprise to find out there's a 30-minute uh, time limit. And an even bigger surprise to find out that you can speak nonstop for more than 30 minutes without arguably a script and not even notice. Isn't that terrible? But on that note, uh, Chimigwitch, uh, Anishinaabe for, uh, well, just as a greeting, uh, thank you very much. Uh, but I seriously do thank you if you've listened for this long. Uh, yeah. Best wishes to you. And uh, yeah, hopefully everything uh, finds you well.